Welcome to Decode Your Burnout, the podcast where we crack the code on burnout based on three primary factors, your programming, environment, and personality. We also feature experts who debunk the myths about what it takes to be successful in their industry and spin those tips to fit the workplace so you can optimize the way you work. I'm your host, Dr. Sharon Grossman, a psychologist turned coach, author, and burnout expert. If you're burned out and want to go from exhausted to extraordinary, book a free breakthrough session with me by going to bookachatwithsharon.com. And if you want to see how you're doing and what to focus on next, download the burnout checklist. You'll find the link in the show notes or go to bit.ly forward slash check your burnout. Now let's get started. Hello, Decode, your burnout fans. You are back with me this week. Uh, and I've got this wonderful guest that I want to introduce you to. Her name is Dr. Laura Bernstein, and she is a pediatric cardiac anesthetist. <laughs> I always get this wrong. <laughs> anesthesiologist. We had an anesthetist just uh, on the other day, and I guess they say it differently back in England, but uh, she's an anesthesiologist who is also a physician, career development, and leadership coach. She's a mom to three daughters, an author, a speaker, and a survivor of burnout. That path led her to coaching, and her passion is working with other women physicians to help them determine their best life and how to achieve it without sacrificing their own authenticity along the way. In addition to coaching, Laura works on national well-being and professional development committees through the American Society of Anesthesiologists and the Society for Pediatric Anesthesia's Women's Empowerment Leadership Initiative. That is a mouthful. <laughs> Dr. Laura, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. And thank you for being willing to wade through all those things that you just had to say. Of course, it's part of your story. So um, what we want to do always in the beginning is really get to know you and who you are. Um, and we're going to find out all of the things as we're going through this episode. Why don't you start us off by telling us the origin story of your burnout. Where were you? As you mentioned, you know, you said that you were a survivor of burnout. What, what actually happened that led you to burnout? Wow. I think that, you know, like for a lot of women, it's, it's everything. It's your career which I had a very demanding career taking care of babies and children in the operating room who have congenital heart disease. And, and it's glorious and it's fulfilling, but it's stressful and the hours are long. It's your life. It's juggling motherhood and your career. It's marriage. I had a marriage which ultimately was emotionally abusive. And I stayed in it for years for a variety of reasons. And I was the single breadwinner. And so I didn't perceive that I had choices. I just kept going. And so I think the point at which I finally allowed myself to admit I was in trouble and I actually called it burnout was ironically, when enough of these things had resolved themselves 
that I could begin to think about me and not just taking care of the people around me. So my children were either in college or the last one was graduating from high school. Wow. And my mom had passed away unexpectedly. And I just, you know, I had to face the fact that this life that we got, this is one life and you don't get do-overs. And as a result of that, I think that was the beginning of saying, I'm in trouble here that, you know, once I get to work and I start taking care of patients, the love of caring for patients carries me through. But when I'm not doing that, I'm in despair. Mm. And, and that, that was a very sobering realization. Wow. So what's amazing is that it took you so many years to get to that point, right? That you were so strong to deal with all of these things for such a long time, the demands of the career, the abusive relationship. I mean, to go through that for really like a couple of decades is astonishing, I don't think that's unusual for a lot of women, though. I think we are so programmed to be caretakers for other people that when we put things in the context of taking care of those around us who need us, we can make ourselves wade through anything and we will keep going. It's once those things aren't as present and you are with yourself that you look in the mirror and you say, wow, I'm, I'm struggling here. Because then you can allow yourself to admit that finally. Wow. And I can see even as you're thinking about that now, it's bringing up some emotions. Well, I have a lot of gratitude. I really do. I have a lot of gratitude for the fact that at the end of the day, I went through a divorce and the absolutely unexpected happened for me, which was I met the most wonderful man in the world. And we've been married now for almost 10 years. He is the one that finally looked at me one day and said, this is killing you because there was, there was the pause between my realization and my actually doing anything about it. There was the realization that I was in trouble. And then I continued going for several more years until the day he looked at me and said, you have to change. And, and hearing it from him was what finally allowed me to say, I do. I, that's scary. I don't know what that's going to look like, but I do. I need to change. So you mentioned a couple of things, which I think are really um, important for us to dig a little deeper into. One is that you said women are programmed to be caretakers. And I wonder how much that played into you sticking with all of the stressors that you had on your plate as opposed to just saying, you know what, I realize this isn't working for me. I need to do something else. Right. And it sounds like there was some fear in letting go of the familiar. Well, there was, I, you know, I think now we're going to, for, for the first time, we'll touch on coaching a little bit. Right. Um, yes. We, if you go all the way back to my childhood, there were reasons why early on I developed being a perfectionist and I honed it to a high art because that's how I got approval. And that's how I got noticed from my dad. Mm. And so being a perfectionist, making straight A's that that's how you get approval. And, and so we go through and we continue that. And I happened to choose a profession 
where it, it, there are people with higher levels of OCD than pediatric cardiac anesthesiologists. I would be frightened to meet them, quite honestly. Mm-hmm. So I chose a profession where we aim every day for perfection and we work with teams who are, you know, sorry to say, but programmed to point out to us. You may have made 10,000 correct decisions today, but this one decision over here, this was not a good one, or this was not as good as it could have been. And we carry those voices in our head with us all the time. Mm. So, you know, it's, it's kind of a battle between who's winning today, imposter syndrome or your judge. And, and so I think a lot of these things are the programming that mean you, you do, you keep pushing yourself. And at the same time, you never are kind to yourself. You are continually kind of critiquing where you are and feeling like maybe you're not quite good enough. So I think those first two elements that you talk about, where you talk about programming and environment. Yeah. Yeah. I, I brought programming and then selected an environment that continued to hone that programming for me. Yeah. I'm glad you're able to see that. I mean, I think that's what we all do. We look for something that fits our existing beliefs and our view of the world right? And that's kind of our cognitive biases at their best, right? Um, But it's important for us to be able to connect the dots. Now you had that moment and I almost kind of pictured you looking in the mirror and, and seeing yourself for the first time and saying like, this is, this isn't working for me. This is too much. It, you know, it's too hard. I did. And, you know, interestingly though, I will tell you, then three other people quickly entered that scene with me and they were my three daughters because that's what I have with three daughters. And at the time this happened, my oldest daughter was finishing medical school and ultimately deciding to go into anesthesiology and follow in my footsteps. Wow. And so even as I could make a decision for myself that things were going to be different, my very next thought was on behalf of my three daughters, this is not how this story is going to get written. They're not going to look back and say, you know, their mother got beaten by this thing. And, and maybe that's again, my own pathology saying it's a competition, right? But, but it wasn't that so much as it was saying, I can reframe this and I can decide if this isn't working for me, what will work for me? And, and I feel like this is a really important moment to bring in the thing you named right before we got started, which is the Society for Pediatric Anesthesia, actually that right around this time started the Women's Empowerment and Leadership Initiative. And that was a coaching and mentoring initiative designed to help mentor and coach promising young women in our field, because not enough of us were getting promoted We weren't attaining leadership positions in the same Mm. percentage that men were. And so this was a real effort to proactively address that. And I became an advisory board member for them. So so there were many things that helped me once I made the decision to say this is going to be different. And one of them was the fact that I immediately had this opportunity to say, how can I turn this around, take my experience and use it in a way that actually goes on to help other women? And that... Again, that brings the caretaker thing back into it, but it, it meant that part of what I did, I did for myself, but part of what I did, I did because I believe systems need to be better, our world needs to be better, and I could be part of that. So you were saying that 
you know, the work itself is very stressful. It was long hours. Um, and I'm, I'm just wondering, as you're talking about this new piece of the puzzle, you talked about how a lot of women weren't getting promoted. Mm-hmm. And do you think had that been different, you would have still burned out because of the other factors or that having that empowerment and having like that appreciation level from your field would have allowed you to have a different experience in medicine. So you've hit on a really important point and something that is a real driving factor for me in my work. So at the point that I finally said, there's a problem here that came very shortly after I had been passed over for promotion again. Mm. And I was at this point over 25 years into my career with a 15 page CV and a CV that I knew surpassed some men in my department who were at that point full professors. So that, that almost was crippling to me. And so, yes, this was a really real part of the thing was that I felt that I, I didn't matter to the system. I mattered only as a person who could take very good care of children and keep an operating room running, but as a person, as an individual with a list of achievements, I had no meaning whatsoever. And I think that's actually a really important thing to focus on because, you know, we talk a lot on this show about, you know, different reasons that people burn out, including long hours, stressful work, you know, all, all these things that you had mentioned initially, but I don't think we talk enough about not feeling appreciated I find that that's actually a huge part of why people burn out, right? Absolutely. And I I keep hearing this over and over again. And I really want to highlight this for everybody because as you're describing what was happening of, you know, I had this 15 page CV and somebody else got it and it happened to be a male. Like, I feel like this happens way more than we realize. And I mean, I'm absolutely thrilled to hear that you not only had that experience, but then you did something about it. And now you're helping other women feel empowered, right? You actually took action on it. But I think there's a lot of women out there who are maybe going through that right now, where they are up for a promotion and they get overlooked and it goes to somebody else. And they're feeling just like you felt when that happened to you, what can you share with them if they're listening to this? You know, that question brings up so much inside me. The first thing that I can share with them is utter empathy. Because it's very hard to train for a lot of years and feel that you are absolutely equal to the men that you're training with. And then once we leave training, to realize that for many of us, the demands of parenthood, perhaps caring for parents, doing all the other things that we do in addition to our career means that we start to fall behind in some of the ways that the systems judge as being, are we successful or not? And 
that that realization is so devastating to so many of us that we have worked so hard to get to this place and that somehow even asking to go 0.8 instead of work full time is perceived as being less invested in your career or saying that, you know, maybe you should just be staying home. So I guess all of these things for me bring up the desire to work on behalf of changing systems, which I'm doing, but also it, it, it leads me to say I love individually coaching women simply because to be able to initially acknowledge that you're not alone and get out of the silo of shame that we live in, that I lived in for a long time. Mm. Where I was, first of all, I didn't want to admit to people that I didn't get promoted. I mean, they could see that I was still an assistant professor, but I didn't want to have to talk about it. It was embarrassing to me because somehow I believed the judgment that had been passed on me by the system. Yeah, obviously these people somehow felt that something about me wasn't good enough. And that's shameful. So I, I, I think the first thing is for us to be able to break out of our silos and realize that this is not actually about each of us as individuals. This is about a system that has not looked at us and let us play on an even playing field. That alone removes a lot of the emotional overlay. And then it lets us work together to help say, okay, what does it take and what do we need to do to get you promoted if that's what's important to you? And for me, it was, it was very important to me. Mm. So it's interesting as I'm thinking about your entire trajectory from that little girl who was getting straight A's and looking for ways to be perfect so that you get your dad to approve of you and then going into an area of work that demands same levels of perfection and is very critical of every mistake you make and by design isn't very approving because it is seeking out perfection which is basically impossible to attain Right. And then going to this point where you're like, okay, I want to move up in the system. And then having to face these perhaps discriminations or things that keep you from moving forward in the way that you would like. And then how it all brings it back home to this place of, I don't matter. I'm not good enough. And feeling very alone in that experience. Yes. So um, the, the positives here are that, one, you had this organization that gave you the mentoring and allowed you to then take a place of leadership where you can now empower other women that were in your situation. And you're doing that also with your coaching and that you have found a mate that has been so incredibly supportive of you and loving to you, especially after having given so much of yourself in your previous marriage and feeling like you, you know, it's, it's almost like there's this parallel between your marriage and your job where you give and you don't feel like you're getting back. And then all of a sudden the, you know, you quit the job, you like, you do it differently and you have a different relationship and all of a sudden you're getting your needs met. I think one of the really important lessons that I learned because I did remarry and then it was subsequent to that, that I really feel like my burnout was at its worst point. So I was able to live through the experience of saying that you can have your personal life actually 
in a fantastic place. But for women who have devoted so much of themselves to getting to a certain point in their career, that you actually need to have both parts of your life working. One can't substitute for the other. Mm. So you can't have a great career and say that makes up for every deficit that I don't have in my personal life. And you also can't say I'm married to a great guy who's very supportive. I just happen to work in a system that doesn't value me. Neither one is going to fly indefinitely. And I think that's a big focus of my coaching is trying to allow women to define where they want to be and what they think success is and to, to normalize that and say, we can get to that place. But at the same time, integrate the parts of their personal life that are important to them and say, you know, at this moment, if you have three young children, maybe this is not the moment that you want to go full speed ahead on your career. It's okay to say that. And it's okay to say in three years, this will be different. Because I think one of the other you know, I hate to say lies, but it kind of is a lie that our systems tell us is you have to say yes to everything. And so if you if you are less than full time and you don't say yes to everything, then somehow you're going to derail yourself and you're not really committed. And I reject that. We are capable of having career transitions and prioritizing different things at different times in our lives and then coming back full steam. And I am living proof of that. Well, I love that message. And I think that gets away from the perfectionistic way of thinking about things very black and white. It's all or nothing. I'm either totally in it full speed or, you know, this is worthless. So I love this idea of like finding that gray zone and living in a more realistic and compassionate version of your life that allows you to you know, do the things that you love and have a life that you're happy with without all the burnout and the stress, you know, just kind of bringing reality uh, on board, which I think is super helpful. So Laura, I know you have some tips for us based on your burnout recovery journey. So would you share some of those with us, please? Yeah. So I think that, you know, one of the biggest ones we've, we've already touched on, which is listen to the people who love you, that Mike was able to reach me at a point where, other people couldn't simply because I knew that he had nothing but my best interest at heart and he was worried about me. And I could hear that. Whereas everyone else that I listened to, either I didn't feel like they knew the full story because I was embarrassed to tell them the full story, or else in some way I felt that they had, they would tell me what I wanted to hear, right? Mm-hmm. Mike, Mike was only going to tell me what was best for me and I needed to be able to hear that from him and I could. And I think that's actually a really, really powerful message because part of the burnout journey is where people are like noticing that something is off. Like you're working too hard, you're working too long, something is going on. They notice it, they say something to you, and you're in denial and you're saying, Well, they just don't understand. I have, I just have to finish this project or I need to get that promotion. So I got to work hard. Right. And it's when we're pushing those people away, we're not listening that we stay deeper in the burnout. So I love that this tip is really about turning that around and encouraging people to listen because there are those people in our lives that do have our best interests at heart. And we want to be able to pause and see it from their point of view and see if there's some validity in what they're saying, because it can be our lifeline. 
And I think along those lines, an important thing to know is in your life, who are the people who provide your guardrails? Because as I've heard other guests on your show say, you know, burnout is not a one-time phenomenon. You can dance with this more than once. And so it's important to know who the people are that you trust, who are your guardrails. And when those people say, you know, you seem withdrawn or you seem a little angry right now, or you're short-tempered, whatever your particular tells are to be able to listen to the people who say, you don't seem like yourself right now. What's and going to not on? take that as a criticism, but more exactly. as you know, maybe this is a red flag that I need to pay attention to because it'll help me avoid some bigger catastrophe. I think for many of the women in my profession, when we begin to seem, quote, not like ourselves, that is a sign that our resilience reservoir is near empty, that mm. there's nothing left. And the reason we're not ourselves is because there isn't anything there. And that's, that's a huge danger sign. Mm -hmm. And I, I also just want to say that, especially with your story, it's just amazing how much is in that reservoir to begin with that you push yourself for decades in these situations and can last as long as that. I mean, that to me is phenomenal that you know, women are that strong. We just have to put them in the right kind of situations and they can really do amazing things in the world. Absolutely true. And, and part of that comes from building networks and having support from other women, which I believe is crucial. And one of the things I love about working with some of the organizations I'm working with, because one-on-one -on -one coaching is phenomenal. And for me, it absolutely revitalized how I saw myself. But I think going forward from that, having a network of support is what keeps you strong. Yeah. So one of the tips that you had for us, I think earlier on was not to stay in silos and to um, have networks of people. And I know you've done that through this organization. Now you're creating that through some of the coaching that you do. So um, anything else you want to add to that? Yes, because I think that's something when I talk about or think about women being leaders, I know in my own mind, for so many years, that was associated with whether you held a title or not. And so I said, hmm, I haven't been chosen to have that title, so therefore I'm not a leader. But I was wrong. And I want to say that we are leaders in so many ways, and so many people watch us and are inspired by us. And that is leadership. And so being able to share that with other people is part of what also keeps you strong. And so I believe that connection is huge. Connection is not only how you're connected to other people, it's you actively helping make that happen for those that you may know, especially those junior to you. Mm -hmm. Introducing them to somebody who might be important to them, introducing them to somebody whose work they've admired. So many ways that you can do a thing that shows to this person, you matter to me, and I'm going to connect you to somebody else. And over time, those things add up and they become this really rich avenue for helping people feel like they belong. Yeah, that's really walking the talk. So yes, get out of your silo. I think everyone's workplace is imperfect. That goes without saying. And so when we struggle with the idea that we are stuck, 
with certain parameters in our workplace, Mm -hmm. one of the ways to really address that is to get outside our own workplace, either by joining committees, joining societies, reaching out to friends, but looking for things other than just your immediate work environment that can validate you and provide you a source of support. Beautifully said. Wonderful. And what's your third tip? So my third tip is don't believe in systems that make you feel like you don't matter. Because at the end of the day, the systems, despite the fact that they have wonderful mission statements and value statements, some of the research I love most right now is looking at how we actually feel about our personal values and how our personal values align with the values of the organization we work for. Mm. And not surprisingly, when there's a decreased alignment there, there's increased burnout. Yes. So I I think knowing your own values and what's important to you is essential in this whole journey. That's really the first step to everything, knowing what's most important to you. And if you're in environments where you don't feel your own values are reflected, then saying, is this somewhere that I want to be long-term? Or if you don't have a choice and you feel like, yes, I have to be here for the following reasons, I can't leave, realize that you don't have to incorporate the implied judgments from a system that doesn't value you, that you do matter. You are irreplaceable. You are unique. You provide value. It's just not being reflected by the system you're working in. And I want to add to that, that our values are widespread. And so even for each individual value, there can be different interpretations of it, different versions of it. So like for you, there was a fit initially where you were looking to have a fit from, from like a perfectionistic standpoint. Like this is the way that I think, and this is the way that they expect me to think and behave. So it's a fit. So there was that kind of um, value alignment perhaps at first, but then it starts to change over time. And I think we have to uh, give ourselves permission to let our values evolve and to listen to where we are at this moment. And sometimes it means that what drew us in is no longer serving us. And maybe there's a different value that stands out now. Right. Like if perfectionism was what got you in, like what got you out was that maybe it was too judgmental and not enough um, appreciation and compassion and things of that nature, you know, and you've evolved as a person through your years of doing that work. So I think now, you know, there's a different set of values, perhaps that you're leaning on. And um, sometimes even within a particular value, I think there's different versions of that. So I think um, doing a deep dive into values is a really important part of discovering what's important to you so that you can make good decisions when it comes to your career, your relationships, and important life decisions. I agree. I think what ultimately got me out was the fact that I realized I did not have to incorporate the judgments or perceived judgments of the system that I was free to make my own judgments about my self-worth and that I was free to go forth and pursue things that were important to me 
They did not have to fit within the parameters of what was important to the organization. And, and that whole dynamic alone has been just revolutionary to me because ironically, my career has soared. I've become a coach. I feel passionate about what I'm doing. And I never could have done any of that had I continued to fully embrace what the system said was important and believe their judgment about how they perceive me. And I think that's perhaps the most empowering thing that we can share with people is that so much of how we feel is a result of our interpretation of things. And when you were passed up for that promotion, if you then, if your takeaway then is that means that I'm not good enough, then you feel like you're at the mercy, your whole sense of self-worth is at the mercy of their decisions, as opposed to saying, you know, they passed me up and maybe there's a reason why they're doing that. It could be a good reason, could be a bad reason, but it, whatever the reason is, it's not a reflection of my worth. Right. I think it gets to a classic coaching question, which is, and what else? What else is, might be true? And so exactly. I think what else might be true is that there's gender inequity. There is bias. There are political agendas. There are any number of other things that come into all of these things that mean what I took as a purely personal reflection on me as an individual was actually not that at all. Not at all. And not one of the people involved in that decision went home and lost sleep about it that night, I assure you. So just the whole idea that I could reform my mindset and say, okay, well, I understand, but I also now, I choose, I choose to think otherwise and I choose to pursue the things that are important to me. Wow. It's a breath of fresh air. Yeah. I, I always think about it, you know, as if you were dating and you wanted to go out with some guy and they're not interested in you. It doesn't mean that you're not an amazing person. It's just maybe not a fit. And then you have a choice. Do you continue to pursue that guy? Or do you say, I'm going to find a different guy who actually wants to be with me and is appreciative. And I think we can think about our jobs in kind of a similar way, where if you're not getting the appreciation that you think you deserve, whether it is in that promotion or in the way that you're treated, that you don't have to just kind of suck it up and stick around. If it doesn't work for you, that you can find a better placement where you get your needs met. And I think ultimately that's a very empowering thing to consider is that we get to make our own decisions. We don't have to be at the mercy just of the organization and whatever they say goes, you know? So I think there are, you always have a choice. And if you do stay, recognize that that is the choice that you're making and you have to have, um, you have to make peace with that, or you have to say to yourself, you know what, at some point, I'm going to draw the line in the sand and I'm going to make a decision that is a better fit for me. I love what you just said, because one of my favorite phrases is choose with intention. And so to me, what that means is you may decide to stay, but you may say I am staying because there are great tuition benefits associated with this job. I have three kids in college. Mm -hmm. I choose to stay. That's empowering. That takes you out of feeling stuck and says, you know, I acknowledge that there are things about this job that may never change that I don't like, 
And I may leave as soon as I am able to, but right now I choose with intention to stay because these other things are worth it to me. And so reframing that in your mind gives you control that previously you perceived that you lacked. Yeah. And it takes you out of that victim mentality. Right. Right. It's like, I get, I make that choice. And if I wanted to leave today, I would, but I'm choosing to stay. And it's really about, I I often say that when you focus on the positives, even in an imperfect situation, like you were saying, no job is perfect, that it changes your experience. Because you could just go to work every day and focus on all the things that aren't right. Right. Which for a long time I did. Which is negative pervade me. Yeah. And that is going to bring the burnout on so much faster. But if you accept that there are things that aren't great that you don't love, that maybe you wouldn't, you know, you would have it a different way if you could, uh, but that there are some things that are working, which is why you're still there. And then focusing on those things, I think that's really empowering as well. So we have a lot more power over ourselves and what we focus on than on all these external things that we can't control. And so when we focus on those things, we can shape our experience in the workplace and beyond. Sharon, I would like your permission to end with something that's really important to me. And it is the fact that for people who are going through burnout, you didn't get there in a day and you're not getting out in a day. And so I am very sensitive and aware that when you listen to anyone talk about their journey, especially when they listen to a journey like mine that right now sounds like, and is true, I'm in a really great place. I know I heard stories like that and it brought on a sense of sadness because I thought that's them, not me. I Mm. can't do that. And so I just want to name the fact that I spent some time with my face down in the mud And I wasn't sure what to do or how to do it, nor did I believe I necessarily could do it. But coaching turned me around. Mm. I started learning to do things one step at a time. This has been a journey for me and for everyone. It's a journey and healing takes time. So it's about committing to one step and saying, I'm going to do this thing and then seeing where that leads. And I want it to feel like hope for people because it's, a very individualized process and it doesn't happen overnight, but it absolutely can happen for everybody. Beautifully said. Thank you so much for saying that. Cause I know that it can feel very hopeless when you're in it. And I also know that if somebody's tuning into this, it's because they're hungry for resources. They want that sense of hope. And sometimes we have to lean on other people who have already completed their journey, who can share their tips and strategies and resources that can give us that sense of hope and help us feel like maybe there's another way. Maybe I haven't considered this before, but it sounds like it's something that could help. Right. So thank you so much for that. Now, if somebody's listening to this, Dr. Laura, and they want to perhaps reach out and work with you, where can they find you? So they can go to my website, lauraberenstein.com. They can find me on Twitter at lberenstein. They can occasionally find me on Facebook, but I will readily admit I do not check Facebook as often as I should. And they can find me on LinkedIn. Fantastic. Well, thank you again so much for being here and sharing your journey. I know it's not an easy story to tell, but you have come full circle and 
I'm so glad that you're doing the work that you're doing out here in the world. Um, and for all of you out there listening to this, I hope this has been valuable. Of course, we're always trying to find new angles when it comes to burnout so that you can find yourself in these stories. And what I like to say is regardless of what your burnout code is, my goal is always to spread the word that burnout is a unique experience and that by decoding it, you can find solutions that are equally unique to you. I hope you will help me spread this message by subscribing to the show on Apple or Spotify and leaving us a review telling us what you think, feel, or do differently because of the show. Of course, if you're watching us on YouTube, you can leave a comment or questions that you want us to answer in a future episode. And please, if you know anybody who's struggling with burnout, recommend the show to them. I am always happy to be sitting here and bring on amazing guests that share their journey, and I'll continue to do that. I'll be back here next week. Take care.